we're going to continue our going through the Bible, uh, our story through the Bible, and look at the stories of Jesus. I want you to go ahead and get your Bibles open to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. And as we, we get to this, this chapter, uh, in this chapter there are three parables uh, that Jesus gives. He gives the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. We're going to look at two of them this morning, probably the, the least uh, famous to the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. Say, what about the parable of the lost son? We've, we've looked at that before, and I really want to want to focus on these two parables, first of all. And these, these two parables that Jesus gives, these two stories, they, they are about things that were lost, that were searched for, and finally found. When you lose something, you suddenly realize its value, like a TV remote. Have you ever lost a TV remote and couldn't find it for a while? Uh, if you have kids, you have. Um, we have a, in the fellowship hall, we have a, a, a TV installed there. It used to be in the game room downstairs uh, with the team game room, which is now the community closet. And so we moved it to the fellowship hall so people can use it for, uh, you know, they want to do slideshows or, you know, have a class over there. But anyway, the TV's over there. And when I moved it over there, I couldn't find the remote. Uh, the remote used to be in the game room, uh, but then April got in there and messed everything up. And uh, I didn't know where the remote was. And I thought, you know, no big deal. You know, it's, it's, we're going to use Google Chromecast, so it doesn't, you don't really need the button to change the channels. It's no big deal. You can control everything from your phone. But newer TVs don't have buttons on them. Like my TV at home, I mean, it's, it's, it's not terribly old, but it's, you know, I don't know, what, five, six years old. Uh, but it has buttons on it. So if you leave the, lose the remote, you can just reach behind it and push the power button, and TV comes on. They don't put buttons on TVs anymore. So if you don't have the remote, you can't use the TV. So that remote became vitally important to me. Now I did, did search and I did find it. I uh, say, where was it? It was in the community cupboard for some reason, but that's where it was. And so I searched for it. I found it. I was glad I found it. And I went and I was able to hook up everything and get everything going for us. Uh, so, you know, when you lose something, you realize how valuable it is. Have you ever lost your keys? When me and April were, we'd been, for several years, been married just a few years. We moved into our, into our, we bought our first house and moved into it. And we needed to, I needed to go to work. I think we needed to go to church somewhere. I, I'm, if it was work, it was church, whatever it was, it had to do with church. And we had to get to yeah, and we were starting to run late, and so we, we, we looked for the keys, and looked for the keys, and looked for the keys. Uh, we tore apart the bedroom, we tore apart the kitchen, we tore apart the living room. We are very angry with each other because one of us lost the keys. And they were the only keys we had to our car, so these keys were vitally important. I finally found them in the trash can because someone threw them away. I'm not going to say who it was, but her name starts with April. And uh, so April had thrown the keys in the trash can. And after, I mean, it was a couple hours of searching. I finally found the keys. Very upsetting, but I was very glad when I found them. Anyone ever lost a child for a while? It's terrifying. Couple years ago, we were on vacation and we were at Bush Gardens, and me and April, uh, me and me and Connor and Lexi and Parker were at a nature uh, show. They were showing, you know, like a wolf show and a bird show, and you know, just showing off animals. And April was around doing her thing, and so I had the three kids, and we're watching this nature show. And the nature show's over. They, the wolves come out, the birds come out, and now it's a lot of fun. The kids are having a great time. And as soon as the show is over, we all stand up. I get Connor and Lex, or Parker and Lexi, I was like, let's go. I look for Connor, and Connor is gone. And like the, a second, he's just vanished. I watch a lot of true crime shows, 
I listen to a lot of true crime podcasts. So the first thing going through my mind is he's been kidnapped by a serial killer. And I know because I listen to these things and I watch these things, if a child is kidnapped in an amusement park or like a fair or something like that, they are usually dead within the first 30 minutes. I'm panicking. They've taken Connor. I don't know where he is. I'm freaking out. I look over and he's talking to the lady who has the bird. I mean, he just, but to me, for those, those first like 15 seconds, I was terrified. And when I saw him, I was so happy and then so angry <laughs> a second later. But when I first saw him and I found him, I was, I was just rejoicing that he wasn't taken and killed by a serial killer because now I got to do it for him leaving me. So every time I, I lose something, I'm, I'm always filled with joy when I find it. Sometimes I have more joy than others. Like I took more joy in finding Connor than I did in finding the TV remote. And we all, we're all that way. We lose something and depending on how valuable it is to us, we, we search for it. And when we find it, we're happy we found it. And these parables we're going to look at today, they are all, all about finding things that were lost. So look in Luke chapter 15. Certain verse number one. <clears throat> then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes, scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Now, the publicans here, they are the, the tax collectors. We've explained that before. And the tax collectors in this time were the most hated people in society. They were Jewish people, Jewish citizens, who were working for the Roman government to collect taxes from every other Jewish citizen in the area. But they wouldn't just collect the taxes that were due them. They would collect much more than what they owed the people owed the Roman government. They would keep the rest of it for themselves. So they were making themselves wealthy off of the, the, the pain of fellow Jewish people. And so the Jewish believers, the Jewish people, they hated them. I've heard a lot of, a lot of uh, pastors and, and people compare them to a sex trafficker today. Someone that we just, we, they're disgusting, they're reprehensible, they are just, or they should be despised by everybody in society. That's what a publican was. And then, of course, the sinner is, well, you, uh, me, just a sinner. And so Jesus is eating with these, these publicans and sinners, the, the outcasts of society, the, the, the people that are looked down on the most. I mean, we're talking, you know, not only tax collectors, he's eating with, with prostitutes and all kinds of just wicked people that society looked down on. And Jesus is having a meal with them. And the Pharisees and the scribes are mocking him for doing this. Now this, this, this Jesus eating with these people was meant to be a slap in the face to the Pharisees because the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious elite, the people everyone looked up to, they couldn't imagine having a meal or hanging out with such people because the scribes and the Pharisees, they thought They were the holiest people in the land. They were righteous. They were, they were worthy of God's love and God's affection and God's grace. And these people Jesus is eating with wasn't. So they thought that since they were so holy, they couldn't be seen around sinners. But the truth is they were the biggest sinners. And the Pharisees and the scribes are the only group of people Jesus ever rebuked. He never rebuked the publicans. He never rebuked the woman caught in, a, in, a, 
in the adultery. Now, he told her, go and sin no more, but he never, he never criticized her or spoke against her. He never rebuked the woman at the well. He never criticized these people. The only people he preached against and criticized against were the Pharisees and the scribes, were the religious people, because they thought they were so good. They thought they were so deserving Then Jesus was telling them that they, they weren't. So, and, and at this point in the life of Jesus, things, things are getting a little tense between him and the religious leaders. To them, to the religious leaders, or really to culture in the time period, to have a meal with someone was to basically say to them and everyone else that you were accepting them as they were. You accepted them in their lifestyle. You accepted them in, what they were, in who they were. You accepted them. You loved them. You wanted to be a part of their life, and you were accepting them as they were. Were and to have, to have a meal with them was was in, was incredibly accepting, and it really angered the religious leaders because they thought these people should never be accepted because of how they are. And in fact, this pair, this verse here, it is building upon a parable that Jesus spoke about in Luke chapter fourteen. In Luke chapter fourteen, Jesus tells a parable about a a great dinner. That's put on this this wealthy man, this powerful man, this elite man. He he puts on a great feast and he invites all of his closest friends. He invites the the worthy. He invites the wealthy. He invites the religious elite. And every single one of them has an excuse as to why they can't come to dinner. I bought bought a bought a new car. I got to test drive it. House, gotta check it out. My wife just won't let me. They don't have an excuse as to why they can't come to dinner. So the person in this parable, he tells his servants, he says, Go out into the highways and the hedges, get the poor, get the weak, get the lame, get the sick, get anyone who is willing to come and invite them to come to dinner. And those those that everyone considered worthy were too busy to attend, so the master invited everyone that society looked at as unworthy. Following that parable, following telling the story of this wealthy, powerful man inviting the sick and the lame and the wicked into his house for dinner, Jesus sits down to have a meal with the publicans and the sinners. He's eating with the riffraff of society. And the scribes and the Pharisees don't like it. Let's keep reading in verse number three. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons. which need no repentance. Now, the great things that I love about parables is that Jesus makes sure to explain them and they're told in a way and he explains them later and says, this is what I'm trying to get across. So you don't really got to spend a lot of time really looking at it and diving deep into it, but we're gonna. Uh, we're gonna look at this parable anyway. Um, now, the, the story of the lost sheep really resonated with the people Jesus was talking to because they understood the life of a shepherd. They understood the life of a nomadic person or, or someone who, who tended sheep or had cattle or a rancher, if you will. They understood the, what they were going through and they were familiar with the life of a shepherd and how they treated their sheep. And in this time, someone having a hundred sheep was a wealthy shepherd. 
They, had, they, were, they were doing well. They had a lot of sheep. And if someone who had a lot of sheep lost one sheep, it's really not that big of a deal. They're not really going to go look for it. Now, how many of y'all have a dog that you just, your dog is, is, is way too close to you? Your dog is, is, is your child. Let's just face it. You love them more. Uh, I, when we, we, we got back from vacation, uh, the first thing I did was walk in and just cuddle Scarlet for 15 minutes. Uh, I didn't say hi to Fred and Sue. Talk to the dog. That's what I did. I love my dog. Uh, if Scarlet were to get lost or taken, I would do everything in my power to find her and bring her back. I would search for her. I would put up posters for her. I would pay reward for her. And most of we feel that way about our dogs, right? If I had 100 chickens <laughs> and one chicken got lost, I don't care. It's a chicken. That's how the sheep were. Because we, we also, we think of the story back in, 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 uh, in David where Nathan tells David, and tells about this story, this guy who had a sheep and the sheep was stolen and eaten and the sheep was like a dog. These sheep weren't like kids as a guy. These sheep were, they were sheep. Losing one sheep when you have a hundred is not a big deal. It's not a huge loss. It's, you, you just write it off. Oh, the coyotes got them or no big deal. I got nine. 99 more. And the good thing about having, you know, more than two sheep is they make more sheep. So if you got 99 sheep, wait a couple weeks, you'll have more sheep. This one sheep is not that important. It's not that valuable. It's not that necessary. But this shepherd does something that is, is just beyond anything they've ever heard. He leaves his 99 healthy sheep, smart sheep that were smart enough not to wander away. He leaves them. He, he makes sure they're protected, but he leaves them and he goes into the wilderness to find that one stubborn, lost sheep. Now, if you lost a lot of sheep, if he had lost all of his sheep, he'd be in trouble. But losing one sheep's not that big of a deal. So certainly it wasn't a big enough deal for him to risk his life to go into the wilderness to find this sheep and to bring it back. It just doesn't make sense to the people listening. Now, the word wilderness that's used here is the same Greek word used when it talks about Jesus going into the wilderness when he was tempted. It is a desolate place. It is a lonely place. It is a dangerous place filled with, with cliffs and caves and all kinds of ways for a sheep or a shepherd to get hurt or get killed. So it's a dangerous place to be. It's a, it's a place a normal shepherd wouldn't risk his life to go get one sheep back. But not only that, when he finds this sheep, he's not mad at it. He doesn't yell at it for being a stupid sheep that wanders away. He doesn't beat it because trying to teach it a lesson. He lovingly puts it on his shoulders, rejoices as he takes it home. But he, he goes even further than that. When he gets home, he calls all of his friends, calls all of his neighbors, calls his shepherd buddies, the ones who are probably like, did you hear what Bob did? He left all his sheep to go in the wilderness to get that one sheep. What an idiot. I'd have given him another sheep. He waits a couple weeks, he'll have more sheep. Why did he leave everything to go for that one sheep? He calls all those people and says, I found the lost sheep. I am so happy I want you to rejoice with me. So he throws a big party, invites everybody over, and they are celebrating that this one unimportant, unnecessary, stupid sheep didn't come home, was found by the 
shepherd and brought home. It's not typical behavior of a shepherd. Not typical behavior of anyone in this culture. Then he tells another story to drive this point home. Look at verse number eight. Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it, and when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner that repented. Now, this story hits a little bit closer to us because it's not talking about sheep, it's talking about money. How many of y'all like money? How many of you ever lost money? Like you lost a few bucks, can't find it. And then, you know, I love it when it's like, I thought I had money, I can't find it. And then, you know, a couple weeks later, you're reaching your pants like, oh, there's five bucks, I'm rich. No, I'm not. I just found the five dollars I lost. But we've all had, we, we can all relate to someone lost some money. Maybe you had some cash and you misplaced a 20 and you're, you're just like, okay, I got to find it. And, you know, if you know you had cash somewhere and, you know, all of a sudden it's gone, you may look a little bit forward and say, well, it's on my dresser. It didn't fall under the, you know, and it's like, oh, well, no big deal. This, this one coin that this woman lost is about $10 today. Ten bucks. How many of you, if you lose $10, are going to clean your house from top to bottom, empty everything out, frantically looking for it? No, you're not. No, you're not. If that's the case, I'm going to hide 10 bucks somewhere. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but most of us, 10 bucks, we're like, that stinks, but oh well. But this $10 represented one day's wages. Today, that's like losing $125. How many of you, if you lost 125 bucks, would spend some time looking for it? Yeah. I'm going to look for that 125 bucks over 10 bucks. 10 bucks, I'm like, oh, I looked under the dresser, it's not there, oh, well. 125 bucks, empty the house, we're finding the cash. And so that's a lot of money that this woman lost. And so she, she loses this money, and so she, she searches her house for it. She, she sweeps the house. She empties everything out. She is diligently searching under every crack and cranny. She's looking in the drawers. She is searching her house from top to bottom to find this coin. And when she finds it, she's happy. And we get that. You lose 125 bucks. When you find 125 bucks, you're like, whew, so glad I found that. But how many of y'all are going to call every neighbor and say, hey, I found 125 bucks, I lost, come over and party with me? You're not going to tell everybody. I mean, you may like tell your husband, I found the money I lost. Or if you had a friend, you're like, oh, remember that money I told you I lost a couple days ago? I found it. Oh, thank God I found that money. But you're not going to be like, hey, let me call all the neighbors, all my friends, have them come over and rejoice with me because I found this lost money. But that's what this woman does. See, this behavior that Jesus is, is describing, it, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, you lose a sheep, you find it, you're happy. You lose money, you find it, you're happy. But this happy? I mean, again, we, I can understand the destroying your house to find $125. I get that. $125 means I'm going to eat this week or not. So 125 bucks, that's groceries. We need that. We're going to look for that. So I understand that story. But I've got 99 sheep, which means I'm a wealthy man. One sheep wanders off. I'm going to risk my life and the life of the other 99 sheep to go find this one sheep? And then when I find it, I'm not gonna, not gonna criticize it, I'm not gonna blast it, I'm not gonna punish it. I'm gonna celebrate with everyone in my neighborhood that I found this sheep. And yeah, I'm gonna be happy when I find the 125 bucks, but I'm gonna 
I'm going to call all my neighbors together and be like, hey, I found the money. Let's come party. Let's rejoice with what has happened to me. So at the end of both of these stories, Jesus says that the joy that these people feel at finding the lost items is the same joy God feels when a sinner repents, when a lost person is found. This also applies to when a child of God who has wandered away is found and brought back to the fold. When lost things are found, when lost sinners are saved, when lost believers who have wandered are brought back, God rejoices. God is ecstatic when these things happen. These two parables, they teach us three valuable lessons. Here's the first one. Number one, God searches for you wherever you are. Wherever you are, God searches for you. Throughout the Old Testament, we see pictures of God as our shepherd. It was a common theme that God was the shepherd of his people. It is how people understood God. You know, David said in Psalms 23 that God was his shepherd. And God took care of all his needs. In Isaiah 40, Isaiah says, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom. He shall gently lead those that are with young. Ezekiel says, My sheep wandered through all the mountains and upon every high hill indeed. My flock was scattered upon them all the face of the earth, and no one searched or sought after them. For thus says the Lord God, I, even I, will search for my sheep and seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock in the day that that he is among his sheep that are scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of the places where they have been scattered in a cloudy and dark day. So throughout Scripture, God gives us this picture of a shepherd who pursues his sheep, who goes to wherever his sheep are. His sheep are scattered all over the world. God is going to pursue them. God is going to go to them. God is going to find them wherever they are, search for them wherever they are, until he finds them and brings them back into the flock. God pursues them when they wander away. See, Jesus, he shows up and he, he teaches that he is the shepherd that we are the sheep and he will pursue us whenever and wherever we go. See, the, the, the Pharisees and the scribes, they believed that if someone wanted to be saved, someone wanted to become a child of God, they had to get right with God first. They had to seek God. They had to be looking for God. They had to repent of all their sins and obey all the commands that God and the Pharisees had put on them. And once they, they, they did all these things and they looked for God and they obeyed God and they obeyed the commands and they did everything right, then God would accept them. Then they would be acknowledged by God. That's not how God works. God doesn't require us to seek him and obey him and become like him before he accepts us. God searches for us while we're sinners. God pursues us while we are rebels against him. While we are enemies of God, God came looking for us. John 6, 44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws him. See, God does the pursuing. God does the chasing. 
We do the surrendering. But God does the searching. The God of the Bible loves us despite us. He doesn't love us because we become worthy. He loves us while we are unworthy. Because here's the trick. Here's the secret. You're never going to be worthy. The Pharisees who, who thought they were so good, who thought they were so holy, who thought they were so righteous, they would never be worthy of God's love. But their pride wouldn't let them see that. They were blinded to the fact that even these Pharisees who, who opposed Jesus, who killed Jesus, who rejected Jesus, even those Pharisees, God came for them. God pursued them. God loved them and wanted them to be found, but they rejected him. See, God loves us despite our sin, despite our wandering, despite our failures, despite our selfishness, despite our efforts to please him that always fail, he loves us. See, if you read the Bible, God is always pursuing man, and man is always rejecting God. Man rejected God in the Garden of Eden. Man rejected God under the leadership of Moses. God rejected, uh, man rejected God as king in the, the, the book of the Judges. Man rejected God at every turn and committed adultery and lived a life of compromise but throughout the bible god despite the fact that man is constantly running from god god is constantly pursuing us because he loves us i mean if i'm a if i'm a shepherd and i got one sheep that keeps wandering away wandering away and i keep going after it you know what eventually i'm gonna stop doing stop going after it that sheep's a pain in the butt i don't want to go after it i don't care you know what God says? You could run away every chance you get. I'm still going to pursue you. I'm still going to come after you. I'm still going to give everything for you because he loves us. From all of time since creation, God has pursued stubborn humanity. He has searched for us. Then he showed goes up in the flesh and he eats with those that he loves and is pursuing. And it's a beautiful truth we see in these parables that God pursues us. Look at verse 4 again. Talk about the shepherd. He says he goes after that which was lost until he finds it. Then verse number 8 about the coin. She seeks diligently until she finds it. God pursues us until he finds us. Even when we run away like a sheep or we, we hide like a lost coin. If you are lost in the pain of a broken relationship, God is pursuing you. Maybe you're dealing with the pain of health issues. God is pursuing pursuing you. Maybe you're hiding from God and your refusal to repent of your sins. God is still pursuing you and wanting to bring you back to him. If you're lost in your sin and shame, God is pursuing you to show you his love and redeem you through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. God is always pursuing us wherever we are. Second truth we see, God rejoices when he finds us. We all have something that excites us. I love college football. And if it's a good game and a good play, man, I can get excited. I remember back in 2013, Auburn and Alabama were playing in the SEC championship or the Iron Bowl. And Alabama was, was, the game was tied. Was Y'all remember this? The game was tied, and Alabama went for like a 55-yard field goal attempt. 
and, and it didn't make it. And the Auburn uh, player called it and ran the whole thing back all the way back. Y'all remember that? That was incredible. I bet you don't like that, Miss Bonnie. I loved it. I was, uh, I was jumping up and down going, go, go. I mean, I was screaming. That her house was shaking. They thought, I don't know what's going on. What's going on? Great play. Alabama lost. That's always a good day. I get really excited about good football. The, uh, the uh, 2019 UVA Tech game, I got excited about that game. I was there. As soon as the game was over, I was on the field. I was on ESPN with Bronco Mendenhall, and I was, I, you could see me. They didn't interview me. I was just there going, ah! I get excited about stuff like that. And we all have things that excite us. I get excited watching my kids play sports. Lexi hates me watching her play soccer because the ball can go by her and graze her leg. And I'm, good job, Lexi, you go, woo! I just, I get excited about watching them play. I enjoy being a part of their life and I, I enjoy, honestly, embarrassing them. That's the best part. They play well, I embarrass them, who cares? So we all have things that, that we get excited about. God gets excited when lost sheep are found. God gets excited when lost coins are found. And that should make us rejoice too. When a person gets saved, we should rejoice. We should praise God and celebrate. And look, I think according to this scripture, someone gets saved, we should throw a party. We should rejoice with them and celebrate with them and, and thank God that what was lost has now been found because God rejoices in it. When a lost sheep comes back, we should rejoice. And here's the thing. The lost sheep was part of the flock, but it wandered away. When a child of God who wanders away from God maybe gets into some pretty bad stuff, some of the worst people, the, some of the biggest sinners on earth are believers who are running from God. A believer running from God will hurt you a whole lot more than, some, than an atheist will. They will hurt you worse than anything. But when, when God finally gets a hold of them and he finds them and they confess and they repent and they come back to the flock, man, we should rejoice. We should praise God and celebrate and just thank God that what was lost has now been found. When a lost sheep comes back, we should rejoice. But look at the chain reaction in these stories. Look at verse number five again. And when he, who's he? He's the shepherd. When he hath found it, He layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. The shepherd finds the sheep. The shepherd rejoices. Look at verse 6. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me. For my sheep which was lost I have found. So the shepherd rejoices. But then the joy and the celebration spreads to his friends and his neighbors. Look at verse number nine. And when she hath found it, the woman here finds the coin. She calls her friends and her neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. The, the woman rejoices when she finds the coin and she calls her neighbors and her friends to rejoice with her. When a wandering sheep is found, when a lost coin coin is found, God rejoices, and it should trickle down to the church. We should rejoice as well. Jesus re slapped the religious leaders in the face when he said, I rejoice when anyone returns home. In any condition, in any shape, when any sheep wanders away and gets lost, when it comes back, I rejoice. Rejoice no matter what. If that's the case with our Heavenly Father, if that's the case with our Good Shepherd, 
that when one uh, that that one came, the one that came to rescue us, how can we not rejoice when others are found? Nothing on earth should excite us more than the reality of the gospel. Jesus came came to find us. He sought us in the wilderness. He sought us in our sin and our shame. He came to us. He died for us. He was buried and resurrected to redeem us to God the Father. He did everything. All we got to do is accept his gift and rejoice when other people are saved. Worship, rejoicing, it doesn't start with us. It starts with God. God initiates the joy and we respond to it. When a sinner is saved, we should rejoice because God's rejoicing. When a lost sheep comes home, we should rejoice because God is rejoicing. You know, in John chapter 1, verse 12, the Bible says that we were born orphans, but God has has adopted us into his family and he calls us his child. John 15, we were the enemy of God. But now, because Jesus came, died, rose again for us, he did for us what he couldn't do. He sought us when we were lost. We are now the friend of God. Romans 5, the Bible says we were at war with God, but now we are at peace with God and are justified through the blood of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, we were so loved that God purchased us with the perfect blood of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 12, we were alone in the wilderness and now we belong to the body of Christ. In Romans 8, we were condemned and now we are free and we know that God works everything out for our good. In Hebrews 4, we were alienated from God, but now because of Christ, we have access to the throne. In Philippians 1, the Bible says God started to work in you and he loves you so much that he's not going to stop until you see him face to face. In Philippians 3, our citizenship is nowhere on this earth earth but because God came for us because he sought us and found us our citizenship is in heaven in second Timothy no fear fear no longer controls us but God because he sought us and found us has given us a spirit of love a sound mind and of power and in Ephesians 2 we are God's workmanship and he is shaping into the image of God that should cause us to rejoice because God sought us, found us, and did all that for us. What did we do? We accepted his gift of salvation. We accepted his perfect life, his substitutionary death, and his bodily resurrection as payment for our sins. But he came to do it all and to find us. Those truths should cause us to worship, to celebrate, and rejoice. We should worship and praise God and worship in what he has, what he has done. We were once lost, but now we're found. Rejoice in that. Third truth that we see in this story is number three. God knows we need each other. The significance of the lost sheep and the lost coin, they were lost from something. They were separated from something they belonged to. The sheep belonged in the flock, but he was separated from the flock. The coin belonged in the purse, I guess that's what we're going to say. The coin belonged with the other coins, but it was separated from the other coins. They were lost, they were alone, they were separated, and they were in danger. They had to be brought back. The sheep had to be brought back into a relationship with the shepherd, but also with the other sheep. The coin had to be brought 
fall back into fellowship with the woman and with the other coins. Remember the context of who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to the religious elite, the religious leaders, and a group of sinners. The tax collectors and the sinners, they had no value to the kingdom of God in the eyes of the religious elite. They had no business being at the table with the Messiah. But since Jesus ate with them, he was showing them that he accepted them, but he was also, in their opinion, showing his own sinfulness. See, these sinners, they didn't follow the ways of God like the Pharisees did. They didn't obey the rituals and the laws and the ceremonies like the Pharisees did. To the Pharisees, these people lived sinful lives. These two crowds couldn't be more different. One was considered elite and well-respected. The other one was looked down upon by everyone. When you think about the church, which group do you think of? Are we the religious elite that deserve the favor of God? I mean, we're here on a Sunday morning. We're listening to this guy yell at us for a while. I mean, we're, we're here. We're doing what's necessary. We're, we're, we're the good people. Or do we look at ourselves as like we're just a bunch of tax collectors and sinners who had the, who Jesus came for, he sought, he found us, and because he found us, we get to, we get to eat with the Son of God. Not because we deserved it or earned it, but because he came for us. We're just a group of sinners trying to love the Savior. That's what church is. If you're like, no, church is the elite, you're wrong, number one, and you're sitting under the wrong pastor because if you're like, church is the religious elite, no, I'm not, which makes you not. What am I? I'm just, I'm a sinner who messes up more than I should, who makes mistakes, who hurts people, who hurts God sometimes, but who loves God and says, God, I, I messed up again, but you forgive me again and I can, I can dine with you again because I'm just a, a, an undeserving sinner who a loving Savior sought and found and redeemed. Not because I'm deserving or worthy, because I'm not. In spite of the fact that I'm worthy or deserving. He passionately, God is passionately seeking the lost. The ones that the religious people think aren't deserving. Jesus and God are going after people who know they need him. See, the religious people didn't think they needed God. They, they were doing everything right. They didn't need God. I mean, they, God was lucky to have them. God is looking for those who realize, God, I need you. Maybe, I, maybe you grew up in a, a great family. You went to church your whole life. Your parents were deacons or pastors. Or you, your, you grew up in church and you never did anything wrong. And you, according to the world, morally, you've done everything great. You know what? You still need God. Maybe you grew up with a, a pretty bad, you have a pretty bad past. You've got things in your past and, that you're ashamed of. Maybe that past is like a couple of days ago. Whatever. You've got things that you're like, I can't believe I used to do that, or I can't believe I did that the other day. Why would God love me? But you understand your need for God. That's, that's what God's looking for. He's looking for, no matter how, well, I'm morally good or morally wrong, as long as we have this understanding that God, no matter who I am or what I come from or what I've done, God, I need you. Because if I'm good my whole life, and I die without you, I'm going to hell. Just like the guy who's wicked his whole life and dies without you, he's going to hell too. Good people, good people without God go to hell. 
bad people with God go to heaven. That's not fair. It's, it's how God works. God seeks those who know their need for him. But once he finds us, he wants us to be together. See, sheep are good. Sheep by themselves are going to get in trouble. They're going to wander the wilderness. They're going to get hurt. They're going to get killed. They're going to, bad things are going to happen. Sheep together, watch out for each other. See, a sheep can't see. They, they have really poor vision. They can see side, but their vision is very, very poor. They can see really good in front of them. So if you notice when sheep are together, they're always looking a different direction. Why? Because they're looking out for each other. They're looking out for danger. They're helping each other. That's why we need to be together. Say, what about the coins? You can buy more than 10 coins together than you can in one coin apart, I guess. All right? 10 coins together are more, more powerful and get more done than one coin by themselves. So we all need to be together. We need each other to encourage each other, to convict each other, to strengthen each other, and to protect each other from the enemy. Lone sheep or dead sheep? These, these stories, they teach us an incredible lesson. They show us the story of redemption. They show us the links that God goes to so he can find what is lost. He goes to the wilderness. He pursues us until he finds us. And when he does, he rejoices and he expects us to rejoice too. He brings us into his family with the sheep to help us and to encourage us. This morning, let's just take some time and thank God that when you were lost in the wilderness, God came for you and he found you and he brought you back and he's